0: Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode 17 of our MMM podcast, Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization with the mission of serving seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injuries, and PTSD. Carol began this organization when her late husband, Erwin Rosenstein, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's as erwin's condition continued to progress carol found music was the one thing that kept the joy alive during the late stages of his life and this is when she realized music is medicine enjoy episode 17. our guest today is dr mcunda karia he's a social entrepreneur and healthy aging advocate based in the san francisco bay area he's the founder and executive director of Sandia's touch a nonprofit organization that provides grants to improve the quality of life of patients and families dealing with serious or chronic illness. Together with a few other dedicated volunteers, he co-founded Sukum, a nonprofit organization that advocates healthy aging, living well, and preparing for life's transitions in the area's South Asian community. He currently serves as Sukum's president, as a volunteer at Stanford Hospital and School of Medicine. He supports palliative care efforts and is a patient family partner, serves as the patient voice on hospital care efforts, is a caregiver support coach, spiritual care volunteer, and fall prevention and balance instructor. He serves on the board of directors and as a community ambassador for Mission Hospice and Home Care in San Mateo, California. He's a regular columnist for the online magazine, India Currents, where he writes a monthly article on health and well-being. He serves on the board of directors of the service learning institution Hindu Spiritual Care Institute where he's also a resident faculty for its CHT and HCP programs and director of the Ananda Corps, its community service organization. He's a community educator for the Alzheimer's Association. Prior to forging this encore career path, he obtained a bachelor's in technology from IIT Bombay and a PhD from Stanford University in mechanical engineering and had a distinguished career of over 40 years in the aerospace arena as a scientist, researcher, scholar, professor, mentor, program manager, and technologist working in government labs, academia, and industry on three continents. His professional recognitions include a US National Research Council Fellowship, the Booz Allen and Hamilton Award for Excellence in Teaching and Service, a Honeywell Technical Excellence Award, and a Distinguished Visiting Professorship. It's an honor to have you here, Makun. Thank you for joining us. So tell us a bit about your current nonprofit work. Maybe give us some more context for these organizations you founded and the problems or disparities that they respectively target.
1: Well, thank you for that uh, introduction, Katie. And uh, thanks for inviting me, Carol, uh, uh, for for this discussion. Well, Katie, you you pretty much listed all the different uh, nonprofits that I'm associated with. And I, I'll let me tell you a little bit about each, uh, and then we can go from there. So uh, I I founded uh, Sandhya's Touch as an organization as a legacy to my wife Sandhya, who uh, we lost about nine and a half years ago. It'll be ten years this coming July, and um, the idea, the focus of the organization was primarily to uh, seed pilot projects, seed small projects to, in organizations that would have a significant impact on the health and well-being of either patients or families dealing with serious and chronic illness. Uh, this, as I said, it was a legacy for my wife, Sandhya, who herself uh, dealt with serious illness for several years. Um, you talked about Sukham, the word sukham in Sanskrit means uh, has different shades of meaning. can can mean contentment, uh, can mean uh, uh, joy, can mean mean peace. So if you think about a combination of those, uh, sukham embodies sort of the the name sukham embodies uh, what the organization wants to do, and that is to to help people reach their own succumb, reach their own um, point of contentment, if you will. And uh, the main focus of this organization, it started out with an understanding that there was a need in in the San Francisco Bay Area where we located, although this this need is everywhere else, within the South Asian community, uh, for people who are dealing with aging and age-related issues Uh, to figure out how um, they can go about dealing with what I would call disruptive events in their lives, you know, when they deal with uh, suddenly facing serious illness, um, you know, health issues, either for themselves or or for their family. Um, And this includes uh, understanding of, you know, how to navigate uh, the complex medical system that we have in this country, uh, how to deal with uh, things like um, the need for an advanced care directive, so people can can understand how to communicate what their wishes are uh, uh, to, to 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 the medical team, and to to understand things like palliative care and hospice care that one potentially deals with when when we have serious illness as well as end of life, and uh, issues of bereavement, grief, and so on and so forth. Um, while that was the primary focus, we realized pretty quickly, and by the way, Sukum uh, was an organization that I co-founded with a half a dozen different uh, uh, people in the area who had the same passion uh, as I do in the, in this area. So the we is the, the six or seven of us who co-founded Sukum. We realized that in order to get the message across to uh, to our community, we needed as also uh, to address the issue of healthy aging. And so, the the um, how shall I put it? The tagline of of, of Sukhum, if you will, live healthy, age well, find peace and joy, find Sukkum, is embodies uh, what the message we wanted to convey uh, to the organization. As we uh, deal with life, we need to understand what it is we need to know in order to be prepared for when that disruptive event comes and being better prepared for that. We go, go about living our lives to the fullest and looking for our own Uh, peace and joy and contentment Um, so that that's the motivation with which succumb was formed and we are not a direct service organization at succumb we uh, I, I like to think of the three E's we educate empower and enable our community members to by providing them information by providing them educational material in various ways and forms And basically supporting them even on a one-on-one basis when they come to find the resources they need to navigate the the issues that they're facing. And while we are focused on the South Asian community in particular, we are a secular organization and we fully welcome anybody who who comes and asks us for uh, information, resources, help, We, we provide that. So... Those are the two organizations that I had a a hand in actually uh, getting off the ground. And I'm involved with uh, the other nonprofits that you mentioned. Um, Stanford Hospital and School of Medicine is a giant organization, but it is a nonprofit. And I'm involved with with that in a variety of ways. As you mentioned, um, I'm on the board of directors for Mission Hospice and Home Care, Which is uh, an independent hospice and home care agency um, that that's about uh, twenty miles north of where I live. Uh, I've partnered with, or we Sukum have partnered with the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, It's sort of a two-way street. They bring the uh, expertise around Alzheimer's, the uh, support facilities available for. People dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, we we have access to 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 that information. Plus, we are the outreach, uh, the channel to outreach into the South Asian community that the Alzheimer's Association depends on to get to uh, to inform people in our community uh, about what they do and what resources and support they have. Um, About four years ago, I started to write for, and now I'm a regular health and well-being columnist for India Currents. It's an online magazine that's aimed at the South Asian community up and down the West Coast, but it really has a national and international audience. And it's a nonprofit organization as well. And and I I write a monthly article for them on health and well-being on, on various topics related to that. And finally, I think you mentioned the Hindu Spiritual Care Institute. This is an organization started in the Bay Area uh, primarily as uh, a means of teaching uh, interested people, primarily professionals, uh, helping them become better at providing community service uh, based on the teachings of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the scriptures of in our in Hindu religion, in our Hindu dharma. And um, we have since also, in addition to providing a certification course in community service, uh, started a pathway to Hindu chaplaincy uh, in, in hospitals and schools and other organizations. When you think about chaplains, um, interfaith chaplains, and Hindu chaplains in particular, are not very common, and so we we're working in coordination with the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley to start a pathway to uh, to Hindu chaplaincy, and the hope is to graduate chaplains who can then go out and help organizations deal with. Um, uh, the needs of, of, of our community in, in, in these situations too. And so that may have been a rather long-winded answer, but that uh, sort of summarizes uh, what I do in these different nonprofits.
0: No, there's a lot of passion there. And it's wonderful that you were able to continue your wife's legacy with this advocacy and then keep that going and cover a lot of ground. Um, so I was wondering if there were other factors that inspired you to make such a dramatic career change from the aerospace arena into this new nonprofit arena were there other factors or did it did you just sort of become more inspired the more you were involved?
1: Well, um, I never did any of this work um, uh, before I started that on this but in, in 2015. And the, the main motivation uh, for doing what I do now is, as you mentioned, I was in, uh, in in the aerospace arena for more than 40 years. And the the last six, seven or eight years, um, I was also um, uh, the primary caregiver for my wife, Sandhya. And she went through uh, a few different illnesses. Um, but the last... Uh, Five or six years, she was dealing with um, a p- particularly aggressive form of breast cancer, and I was um, her her uh, with her throughout her uh, journey, uh, dealing with 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 her illness. And together, we learned to navigate the the complex health care system that we have in in the U.S. today. And until you are a patient or a caregiver. Who actually has to deal with this on a day-to-day uh, basis? You you don't know how complex it can be, uh, how how daunting it can be, you know how much you don't know about things, how much you have to advocate for yourself, uh, and so on. And so the experience first, the experience that I observed firsthand that Sandhya went through. Um, and secondly, as as the experience that I had as her caregiver and friend, uh, being with her uh, on a daily basis, helping her, watching her, f- figuring out together how we should do things. Um, that experience told me how much we didn't know. And then um, when, when Sandhya passed, um, I sort of took a sort of look at my own life and uh, decided that while I could still be doing the engineering work I was doing before, I could still be working uh, on that today. uh, I decided I would rather give that up and do something where I could, you know, I, I came to realize that there, it wasn't just the two of us, there's a whole host of people out there who are undergoing the same kind of trials and tribulations as we Uh, and so I I decided that I would in some way shape or form and I didn't know how I would figure out how I could do um, something to help others and that's how I launched into my what I would call my career in 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 patient advocacy and, and education and caregiver education and support And I didn't know what it was I was going to do when I started. All I said was, I'm going to close this door, open another one, walk through it, and then learn what it is uh, that I can uh, do. And it's been a a process of growing, a process of evolution. Uh, I started out because we had dealt, Sandhya and I had dealt with uh, palliative care and uh, hospice and end of life together. I started out by saying perhaps that's an area that I would like to uh, to figure out what it is I could do to help, and and so I went back to Stanford uh, Hospital, Stanford Healthcare, kind of Stanford School of Medicine, where Sandhya had got her gotten her um, a treatment there, and started knocking on doors and saying, "Here I am. What can I do?" You know, so. Uh, uh, initially people looked at me and said who is this guy and what is he doing here but um gradually we learned more about each other found our footing and one thing led to the other uh to a point where I have I, I do a sizable amount of work in in half a dozen different areas and in in, in at, at at Stanford and and you, you listed some of those in in your nice introduction uh, about me and then um about a, a year after that uh, i formed Sukkham. and then all these other um, efforts including sandhya Stach and and the work at uh, the hindu spiritual care institute and so on sort of followed i try tried, tried um, not everything i tried worked but i've learned i learned from what i did i learned what i didn't know i learned what i needed to know and I'm still learning. You know? uh, if you ask me in six months uh, what's new and different, I'll probably be able to list a few things for you. But And I, I think that's the way it is with, with any career. Uh, we have to learn and adapt and, and, and see where we can do the best, we, what's needed. And sometimes we have to keep reinventing ourselves. And <laughs> I think as long as I, I'm passionate about what we do, what I do, Um, I'm going to continue doing it, so.
0: Definitely, and we really commend you for seeing a need for change and becoming an agent for that change um, and really making a difference. If I may pivot a little bit, you talked about your healthy aging advocacy. If you could explain a little bit about what healthy aging means, for example, between someone who's 45 and healthy versus someone with a progressive neurodegenerative disorder
1: sure so um so the the as i said the heart of what what uh, sukum is trying to do is is to is to promote uh, aging well and so uh, if you if you sit back and and think about aging for just just a few minutes you know um, aging is not an event it's it's a continuous process it's an inexorable process you cannot stop it we begin to age the day we are born. But for a lot of us, for almost all of us, in fact, we don't pay attention to it as we're growing up, you know. Um, We go about doing what we want to do, you know, schooling, education, uh, professions, um, marriage interactions, friendships, travel, building a financial security, whatever it is, that we, we do as individuals and families. Uh, and and old age, if you want to think of it that way, is further down the line. It's not something we want to necessarily think about. It's not something that, it, that we worry about uh, on a daily basis. We don't pay attention to it until it creeps up on us. One day you wake up <laughs> and you've lost your hair or whatever. In my case, whatever hair that I have left has turned white. Right. And I look back and say, boy, where did all these years go? You know? Um, but sometimes it also hits us in a disruptive fashion. You know, you, you don't have to be quote unquote old for, for, uh, uh, something to hit you in the face and say, well, uh, this is not what I expected out of life. You know, I, I, an accident or, or an illness, whatever it is that, um, that helps you that 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 makes you sit up and w- wonder about life and age and and health, right? So if you think about uh, aging and healthy aging, there are actually uh, uh, there's actually a what I would call an organizational or a an institutional definition for a healthy aging that uh, the World Health Organization, Uh, provides and basically what they said is healthy aging is about creating the environments and opportunities that enable people people to be and do what they value through their lives and so they said we as an organization we as a as as a governmental institution if you will whether it be at the federal state or local or we as a community we need to um uh, say that our goal for healthy aging is to be able to develop and maintain functional ability that enables well-being in older age. As are we individuals, as we as a community grow older, what are the kind of things that we can do to maintain whatever it is we as individuals want to do the best way possible? How can we enable that, right? So, if you think about that, that's a definition that would help governments and 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 communities and, and municipalities, whatever it is, help set up uh, uh, systems at an institutional level that that helps the the members of the community the, the best way possible, right? And so, when I think of healthy aging, I kind of take that definition and reframe it, right? So when you, if you talk about um, functional ability, I cast that in, 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 the, in the following way. I say that healthy aging is about much more than staying physically healthy. It's about staying emotionally healthy and maintaining uh, a sense of purpose and zest for life. Right? So uh, for me, healthy aging is not about whether I have an illness or not it's about regardless of what my health condition is how can i do everything i can uh to pursue physical emotional and spiritual well being as as I, as i age right and if you think about aging let me if i uh, i think this will be interesting uh, to you have you ever, have us stopped to think about why some people look in and behave a lot younger than they um uh, than they are and while other people you you sort of look at them and say boy this person looks a lot older than i remembered you know so um th- there's a difference between what a person's chronological age is and what their biological age is right and i think this is key to the kind of things that music men's minds is in- interested in um uh, there's a diff. The difference between chronological and biological age uh, is important because the the uh, biological age, a measure of our physiological stage state, is our actual well-being. You know, and uh, there's a lot of research, a lot of studies that have been done to show that while uh, being born with a set of good genes helps us age well. Uh, That's only part of the equation. Uh, A lot of what we call age-related changes are uh, attributable not to chronological age, but more related to our lifestyle, our habits, our activity, or inactivity. And all these age-related changes that that are inexorable, that are bound to occur as we uh, grow old chronologically, those changes are inevitable. But they can be mitigated by good habits, and primarily, research has shown that sleep, exercise, nutrition, and stress reduction are three or four or five of the main things that help us maintain a younger "quote unquote" biological age than uh, than uh, what our chronological ages. So, if, if, you, if that's kind of the definition of that, I, I would provide for. Uh, healthy aging, Uh, being able to do whatever it is we want to be able to do to the best of our ability, given whatever uh, condition of health we have. And I think this is important because if you go back to uh, neurological disorders, things like dementia and stroke, There's a recent study that was just published a couple of months ago that shows that your biological age predicts your chance of getting dementia or stroke as uh, more accurately than your chronological age. And so uh, they use what they call uh, epigenetic clocks. They use what they call biomarkers in these studies uh, and and they've they've done a, a study that was published in 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 Eng, a study in, in, done in England that was published recently that showed that for some of these things uh, it, it, it's it's getting getting your your bi- biological age um, under control if you will you cannot control your chronological age it just keeps going uh, is is. Probably going to help you uh, have less of reduction, less of a chance, a risk of 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 getting dementia or stroke. So uh, healthy aging in many ways uh, can prolong good health longer than than not. Does that help answer your question?
0: Yes, and it's really interesting because with some of our previous researchers that we've had on the podcast, they've talked about how Alzheimer's, the process of Alzheimer's is accumulating in the brain over 30 years. Um, And so a lot of these factors that you talk about that go into biological age are a lot of overlapping factors with things that can contribute to the progression of this over that long course of time in Mm -hmm. aging. Um, And also just even outside of the context of a disorder, Um, help promote well-being Um, and so when it comes to well-being and quality of life what factors does that include um, and how can we measure them in a research capacity
1: well so uh, you can actually answer that question um, by by it doesn't matter uh, how old i am or where i am whether i'm a senior or not whether I'm living at home or whether I'm living in a uh, senior living facility, whatever it is, uh, you can talk about my quality of life in terms of this healthy aging definition that I talked about, right? And this is a dynamic uh, definition. What is it that I want out of my life, right? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? Defines, essentially defines my quality of life. And that's going to be different from your definition for quality of life and different from Carol's definition of quality of life. But if you come back and ask me five years from now, what does your quality of life mean to you? It'll probably be in something different. that's what I mean by dynamic definition. What it is I wanted in my 40s or in my 60s is going to be different from what I want in my 80s. So my quality of life, my feeling of wellness is going to be dependent on, on those goals and aspirations and my ability to reach out and get those so um when we talk about how we can measure quality of life i think we need to um if you go back and look at those that definition of aging healthy aging that both both the personal definition you can use common threads in those and say at an institutional or organizational or a healthcare facility level, I'm gonna try and maximize all those, right? I'm going to be able to set up a system to enable people to do what it is they want to do to, to the best of their ability, right? Um, and how well you, the, the institution does that could be a measure of how well they're maximizing the quality of life, for example, of, of, of the people who they, they care for. Same thing is true in a school, right? The same thing is true in, uh, in a community. What can we together do to help one another, right? One of the, th- the big things seniors face, uh, really uh, it's, it's an epidemic, uh, uh, it's, a, it's of epidemic uh, 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 proportions is loneliness. In fact, the, the U.S. Surgeon General has published uh, uh, articles and books on that. And in fact, he, they recently re- released a, a major policy um, on uh, uh, statement on loneliness saying this is an epidemic that we as a government, we as a community need to help control. Right. So the well-being of seniors, whether they are living alone or whether they are in a in in family or a friend circle they can still be lonely loneliness and aloneness are two different things i can be in a crowd and be lonely right so if we can control we can prevent seniors from feeling lonely and loneliness is is, is a feeling it's a state of mind right um, we can do a lot to helping them stay healthy, that feeling of loneliness, loneliness, that feeling of there's nobody who, for me, nobody who understands me, no one who cares for me, uh, is 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 a fast path to to uh, illness. So um, those are some of the things that we, we need to be able to address as we think about um, quality of life, as we think about uh, other things associated with that. That's just one example I'm giving, you. so.
0: Yeah, and Carol could probably speak to the effects of music, not just on cognitive ability, but on that loneliness piece and that quality of life piece. Um, have you personally observed the impact of music in patients with Alzheimer's or chronic Ill- illness or age-related issues?
1: Oh, yeah. so. Uh, This is where uh, Carol and I resonate a lot in terms of uh, believing in in the power of music. So uh, if you think about music, it's as old as humanity, right? It's been a fundamental force for us humans for ever since uh, we stopped being hunter-gatherers and started accumulating in, 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 in groups. In fact, there's evidence of musical instruments that date back 40,000 years, right? Um, I I read a a little while ago about uh, archeologists, I think in 1950, less than 50 years, 70 years ago, they unearthed a a clay tablet that is inscribed in Mesopotamia. So around 3,500 years ago, this tablet was inscribed with the lyrics and musical notes for what they called a musical hymn. So if you think about music sheets of music, here you have a clay tablet inscribed with just lyrics as well as the new notes for that. Right. So music transports. If you think about music, have you ever heard a song or a tune that reminded you of something in your past?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: music transports you to the past right that's just the force of music it connects us with nature you know when I was grieving for Sandhya um, there was no no better cure for me than strapping on a pair of headphones listening to uh, music that I felt like and then walking in the park you know Music connects us with nature. We are all part of that largely nature. And, and I, I, th- I think m- music is, it's a powerful release for grief, for different emotions. You had a hard day at work, you come home, right? You don't know where to go next. You turn on the your music and you settle back into a more... Uh, a less stressed out, more emotional, uh, uh, less emotional state, right? If you think about um, uh, what what various religions do, whether it be Judaism or Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, whatever, there's always some kind of a devotional chanting that seeks to connect us with what we think of as the divine, right? Um, Music. What is chanting? It's putting lyrics to to uh, some kind of tune, lyrics, melody, tune, right? Um, in Hinduism, you're familiar with the the term "Om." Om is actually a sound. Om is a primordial sound that that invokes that. Uh, divine being that spiritual being uh, um, and and there's evidence-based research also that now uh, shows this but our uh, the 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 scriptures have told us for several thousand years that the proper chanting of om is not just soothing and stimulating for the soul but it enables us to get to a higher state of consciousness but you have to train yourself in that proper chanting of, of the sound Om. So music brings people together. You know, what do we do when we go out uh, on a Friday or Saturday evening? We congregate where there's music, where there's laughter, right? So music enables a high state of con- consciousness. Music enables connectivity between people. Music brings people together. Group singing helps people of all ages, right? Um, Seniors in particular congregate and feel connected when there's music. And so when you think about uh, people with neurological ailments, Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever it is, music brings people together. Now, you asked me about whether I had any uh, personal experience. I'll tell you about someone who's a good friend who currently is in cognitive decline. His short-term memory is very weak. And he is steadily losing his ability to frame his thoughts. He will sit and talk to you for more than a minute or two, trying to express a thought in different ways, but not being able to do it. He just cannot construct that sentence. He just cannot take that whatever is in his mind and... Reduce it to words that he can express to you. The same person, if you uh, ask him to, to sing a ch- song he knew as a child, he wonders what you're talking about. Sing a song as a child? I don't know any songs. However, if I play that song, just even line of the song, there's a transformation. He will close his eyes. He's heard that one one, uh, uh, phrase in that song. He will be able to, in perfect pitch, rhythm, sing the whole song. Right? And I see that happen. I saw that happen two weeks ago. Right? Um, And then he'll sit down and explain the meaning of the song to you. Because now it's in his mind. It's back there in in that central core of, of present memory. He will... He will repeat the the lyrics. He will explain those lyrics, what it means. But if I'd asked him about that song, he would not. Asking about it does not release that ability as listening to a piece of that song. So, I think that's powerful, and and there are many such examples. And Carol can can you know, you, you you put someone with with uh, uh, cognitive dysfunction in front of a piano and the fingers come alive, right? Uh, I, I think Carol was the first one who told me about somebody who uh, who stammered a lot, couldn't speak. But when you, you got that person to speak to a certain beat, to a certain rhythm, the stammering went away and they could talk. So yeah, music, rhythm, sound, primordial sound, whatever it is, is powerful.
0: Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. And I wanna open it up to Carol because I know she has to hop off our call at one. Um, And if there's time we can circle back to a couple more of our questions, but Carol, please take it away. Thank
2: you, Katie. And thank you, Makund. This has been so enlightening to hear your broad brushstroke in your life. And then of course, to meet where our missions meet. And how fortunate we are to share the same history and the same stories of music. And our beloved seniors who are suffering from these neurodegenerative diseases, as much as we are aligned, macund, your presence and your support of Music Men's Minds in Northern California is huge. And, you know, we've had a, a journey in Sunnyvale, Post-COVID, that was a very slow journey to the point that we pulled the plug because not enough people weekly to enjoy our drum circle, which is all about socialization and sharing music and chanting with each other. And now we have the good fortune of a new drum circle in Palo Alto at the Rose Kleiner a daycare center. And I'm just so deeply touched that you are in our lives. Yes, we are just so busy in California now, with the county opened up to us. But we have really strong contacts in Northern California as well. And my dream is to be able to really secure and show Sanja's touch, how we do want to have a beautiful presence in Northern California. And with all of your contacts, my goodness, it feels like it's a no-brainer that we could really make a statement and show Northern California the power of music changing brain chemistry taking away the loneliness, increasing the quality of life, and doing something as you refer to your, your friend who has difficulty in speaking, but play one line of music and he will sing the song and speak about the lyrics. That's because of the music storage cells. And so without the music storage cells, we wouldn't even be able to share this amazing information that you're sharing. So not to take time away from your amazing interview, but I want to thank you at this precise moment to say I really honor you and the work that you're doing and that we can foster an alignment going forward. We're on the same page. Our hearts are open. We're here to serve. And what better way to use music and socialization as our tool? So thank you, Makund. Thank you deeply for coming today and bearing your soul as to who you are in our world. Sorry for my tears. Thank you,
1: thank you, Carol. Um, let's wish ourselves and the community every success in 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 doing what we are doing. so
2: yes, thank you. so please continue, Katie, but I'm enchanted listening to your broad brushstoke in life. and really honored to know you and work with you hopefully long term.
0: One of the things that the two of you share is both of your experience as caregivers in an intimate way for people in your life that you really love. Um, And caregivers are such an important part of well-being when it comes to neurodegenerative conditions or long-term care. So I was wondering if you could speak on the ways that caregiver well-being can translate to the well-being of their patients or their loved ones.
1: Well, um, briefly put. Uh, it's essential. You know, if, if you think about um, the an- analogy of uh, uh, riding in an airplane and the oxygen masks drop and uh, what do, what do they say? you know put your own mask on first, get breathing before you help the other other person. Caregiving is analogous to that. If you are going to be an effective caregiver, if you are going to be a conscious caregiver, if you're going to be a good caregiver, one fundamental requirement is that along the way, you make time to care for yourself. You know, as as caregivers, um, you go through a whole bunch of different emotions uh, ranging from guilt, anger, resentment, uh, loneliness, you feel the whole burden of the world you, you're carrying on your, on your shoulders. Um, you if, if you feel guilty about the emotions that you have, right? So uh, unless you have a little toolkit. And you have to learn what the toolkit is and learn how to use it. Unless you are effective in caring for yourself first, ultimately you will not do a good job in, 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 in caring for your loved one. The burdens are enormous, but um, you can handle that burden and more as long as you you look after yourself in the process and most caregivers do not do that most caregivers have to be taught most givers have to be you have to say pause here you know you're going to burn out you, if you fall sick who's going to look after your loved one who's going to look after you both right so yes um, self care is a critical part of, of of good caregiving.
0: Very important. And I think a really beautiful note to end on, if that's okay, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for speaking with us about and supporting our educational platform.
1: Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you both. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Makund.
0: And thank you to our listeners for joining us today on Music as Medicine, Ask the Expert. If you'd like to learn more about Music Men's Minds or donate to our cause, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org. Thank you again to Dr. Mukunda Karia for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.